We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiaoxing Chung, an advisor to independent lawmaker Freddie Lim. Hello, everyone. And ICRT's Southern Taiwan correspondent, Michael Smith. Hey there, thanks for having me on. Tonight we'll be discussing the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan this week. Lawyers representing Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu crying foul over the recall petition. Proposals to amend the Assembly and Parade Act and a new CPBL season being set to begin tomorrow, despite most other sports leagues worldwide being suspended due to the coronavirus outbreak. But we'll begin with the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan this week, where World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adhanom made headlines here on Thursday and Friday morning after claiming to have been the victim of racially abusive attacks from the island. And he also blamed the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here for being part of the alleged abuse. President Tsai Ing-wen responded to his claims, though, by inviting Tedros to actually visit Taiwan. And she also took to her English language Facebook page to say she strongly protests the accusations that Taiwan is instigating racist attacks in the international community. Taiwan has always opposed all forms of discrimination. Tsai went on to say that for years Taiwan has been excluded from international organisations and we know better than anyone else what it feels like to be discriminated against and isolated. Tsai's Facebook comments though came after the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Thursday called on Tedros to apologise to the island for claiming that Taiwan was actually behind death threats and the racial insults that he's apparently received over the past three months. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Transport released an initial set of travel guidelines for long weekend holidays this Wednesday in an effort to prevent cluster coronavirus infections. Now, the move comes as the government seeks to head off a repeat of the scene seen during last weekend's tomb-sweeping holiday, when authorities were forced to request that people who visited 11 scenic sites across the island that weekend practice self-health management for 14 days and avoid public spaces to prevent community transmissions of the virus. Now, according to the Ministry, the guidelines govern the size of crowds at scenic spots, popular tourist spots and also those that stay at hotels. All indoor spaces will be limited to one single entrance and exit and once the venue reaches 50% of its capacity, entry will be staggered to different hours. 25 tourist spots, including amusement and theme parks, will have their visitor numbers limited to 50% of capacity and once that figure is reached, the parks will have to turn away further arrivals. And the controls will also likely be put into place at 42 scenic spots, which are spread over 13 of the island's national parks. Transport Minister Lin Jialong is also urging the public to adhere to social distancing guidelines and wear face masks, saying that such moves are a major factor in any future decisions on whether to allow people to continue to travel freely domestically. And the government's new face mask rationing system took effect on Thursday, meaning that people here can now purchase nine masks for adults every 14 days, up from three per week previously, while the quota for children's face masks remains at ten every two weeks. Masks can now be purchased on any day of the week, however, eliminating the need to line up for masks once a week on specific days, depending on a person's ID number on their national health insurance card. Now, the government says the changes were made possible due to the increased production of the surgical masks here in Taiwan that were an extremely short supply in late January and much of February. However, Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jur is unimpressed with the move and he's arguing that people should have access to one mask per day and be able to purchase 28 masks for a whole month at one time. And he also says that the Taipei government is now currently looking at face mask vending machines.
Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced that it's planning to donate another round of surgical face masks overseas, and this time over a million of them will be sent to countries targeted by the government's new southbound policy. Now, the head of the Ministry's Department of East Asian and Pacific Affairs this week said the mask will be sent to seven or eight countries that have recently requested assistance from Taiwan. Now, the government last week, of course, announced that it will be donating 10 million masks to countries seriously affected by the coronavirus pandemic, and they include the United States, 11 European countries, and 15 of Taiwan's diplomatic allies. So, where to begin with all this coronavirus news this week? And I think we'll begin with Michael, because, of course, all these silly buggers popped off to the south, didn't they, during the Tomb Sweamy weekend holiday, which, of course started concerns about the need for travel guidelines and also the need for social distancing and to wear masks, Michael. Yeah, well, I'm going to be a little bit more merciful uh, to these people because the things that you just uh, listed, the the possibilities of how they could have controlled this, such as uh, letting in X amount of people or uh, limiting the flow of people or even giving people a warning saying that, you know, if we see a large amount of people here, you will be required to self-isolate for two weeks or something. That could have put a little bit of uh, incentive for people to um, be a little bit more uh, social distancing. Now, you can say, yes, they were stupid, they were this, that, and the other, but here's the, the fact. You know, we've got more than 23 million people on this island, and we don't have that many tourist sites to go to. People who live in the south, um, when we have a vacation, we generally do go down to the beach and it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's something, Taiwan's response so far to this virus has been, in my view, excellent. But this is just one of those areas where I think they blundered. And this is a central government thing that, that should have been able to be been foreseen, as they had months to think about this. So I kind of feel like the, the central government wanted to have their cake and eat it, too. And what I mean by that is they wanted the tourism money that comes in. They didn't want to disturb or piss off the, the uh, Kending uh, hotelers or uh, other people who, who needed to make money during the holiday. But at the same time, uh, they were hoping that people would limit themselves. But, you know, I was making calls a week before the vacation, and there were news reports a week before the vacation that said that there was 80 uh, percent occupancy rates in Taidong and Hualien and, and, and Kending and all kinds of places. So, and, and this also, it's quite arbitrary that they would pick these specific spots, because I drove around the city in Kaohsiung. If you went to, uh, friends of mine were also telling me, if you went to, like, Aozidi Park, which is downtown Kaohsiung, there were people who were spreading picnic blankets out there. They're, they were super close to each other. Literally every spot in Kaohsiung where you could go, there were plenty of people, including the, the uh, Reifong Night Market, the Liuha Night Market. So, I mean, it's nice that they restricted those areas and told people to self-monitor, but I don't think the, the really, you know, there, there's all that much science or that much logic to it. There was tons of places. So this is a bungled opportunity, in my view, for the government to, uh, to have not thought of this earlier and not implemented implemented basic things that we see like in Costco where they've got you know a counter at the top of the door that says this many people may enter and after that you may not so yeah I don't know if uh, Mr. Xiao disagrees with me but that's how I feel no, I completely agree with uh, Michael here because uh, I think the government is, is actually towing a very fine line, right? At, at, at one hand, they don't want to cause a public panic, right? They don't want to give out so dire warnings so people are so afraid to go out um, and but on the other hand they, they do want to keep people, you know, to to go to crowded places and then break their social distancing. So it's very, very hard to, you know, keep 
keep you know just as Michael said you know have your cake and eat it too um but I'm one of those people that that stay you know relatively close to home during the holidays but I can understand why people you know flock to you know tourist sites because um number one in Taiwan uh, as opposed to the, to to many of the other places uh, throughout the world I mean we are relatively um you know not not so threatened uh at least emotionally by 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 this outbreak right so people when when they have like a long holiday they they tend to think that they will be safer if they are out in the uh in the greeneries in, yes. in the mountains in in in, a, in a other tourist side but I, I bet they'll be really surprised to see that wow so many people all came to the same sites uh so that's number one thing because i mean Taiwanese are very optimistic and we think we are doing everything we can i mean not just on, on, on the you know the people's level but on a governmental level uh i think they are doing a, a great job so uh, but on the social media we see that people give out warnings that for example like in japan there's an uptick in the uh, confirmed cases uh following you know the the, the holiday periods so uh, so that they they were assuming that you know it's because people all went out to your tourist sites and then caused this uptick so that, that that's why people right now are very ner- nervous and they are you know reading the the numbers every day but right now so far everything seems okay you know i, I remember if yesterday is like a, one cases and day before that is three cases so I, I, so i the trend looks um not not so worrisome at at, at the moment right now but Xiao, one could argue of course the government after this long weekend break during the tomb sweeping weekend which was a four-day holiday then it started to talk about maybe we should scrap the may day event but they never actually talked about scrapping the tomb sweeping holiday but may day is okay to scrap do you think this is <laughs> political possibly there they didn't want to talk about scrapping a traditional cultural holiday right. but may day is okay to scrap yeah i mean that that's why be, uh, but uh, i bet they receive a lot of pressure after not you know not give out proper warnings before the uh the tomb sweeping holidays right that's why they 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 are they are sending signals that they may scrap the next holiday but uh, this is something that i think they're, they're doing this down a trial and error and and you don't you don't need to necessarily scrap the holiday but you could have for example you could have blocked off the road to kending and you know it would have been painful for the hotelers and the people down there but it it would have solved one of the the biggest problems right you could have just said i'm sorry but we uh, we can't allow this for the and so the the lack of courage in being able to make this decision was one of the rare instances i feel recently where the government sort of failed in in their in their mission and uh, yeah in the future i don't see a need to like skip the holiday entirely but you you probably do need to close off certain areas because you just know for a fact that even if 90% of people decide to to stay home 10% of 23 million people going somewhere is enough to cause uh, jams you know we're just not a very very big island and we have a lot of people so sometimes they're going to have to make unpopular decisions and one of them might be roping off certain areas and of course Xiao the government has said you know next holiday if they don't scrap the May Day holiday they're going to actually put limits on the size of crowds that can visit certain places like indoor places 50% of capacity and some outdoor places even 50% of capacity yeah i completely with uh, this this uh this regulations right because especially indoors and you don't want people crowded in indoors um but as to closing you know roads to Kandin or maybe just block off you know the highway or something uh, let's be mindful of the fact that there are groups in taiwan that is 
waiting to jump on every opportunity to cause a, a, a great panic, right? That's like, true. Yeah, if you if they really block block off roads, I bet you you'll see um, you know posts in, in my probably China Times that we say that Taiwan is in lockdown on Taiwan is you know close off cities, and that's gonna create a make cause a major panic. Um, so I, I think that's the last thing the government wants to see. Right. And what about social distancing, Michael? Uh, in Kaohsiung, uh, do you see people carrying out the social distancing one one meter outside, one and a half meters inside? Out- well, we, we have a few advantages over Taipei. Um, we have a much broader, wider city. It's just more, there's more space. Uh, but the, the, the correct answer uh, honestly has to be no. Um, we're not seeing it uh, in the way that you would expect. Uh, people are still jogging close to each other, walking close to each other. Um, I'm surprised that they have required, like, cram school kids to all wear masks, but uh, at schools there's not uh, mask wearing, which I don't know why that wouldn't be a good idea at this point. Uh, the kids sit quite close to each other in school. We also only have two subway lines, and they're not uh, jammed pack in the way that the Taipei ones are. So we have some natural sort of uh, advantages, you might say, over uh, uh, Taipei in this regard. But uh, no, um, it doesn't really feel that way. And uh, that's possibly a reflection of the fact that we don't have that many cases in the city. We do have some, uh, at last count, is at least 4,000 people in quarantine in Kaohsiung. It's probably risen by, by this point. But we don't feel it in the same way. We're not hearing constant stories of uh, you know, cases arising in Kaohsiung. For the most part, the more of the ones that we hear about are related to more northern Taiwan. So, yeah, no. Um, people are not worried worried at the supermarket. They're not standing, you know, further back. So it's a little weird. I was at Welcome the other day, and I was standing a little bit further back, and somebody came and cut in line. And I'm like, oh, boy, he says, I'm, I'm here. And they didn't understand why, <laughs> what, what the issue was. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> and I had to explain the concept. So no, um, that would be my, my final judgment. Yeah. But that being said, I, I did get yelled at for not wearing a mask in uh, in one of uh, the large shops, right? Because you know, for example, like in Costco, I, I, it's so large. I don't feel like it's uh, it's quite indoor. But so yeah, people are still you know mindful, especially in northern Taiwan, like like Michael said, like people are mindful that when you're indoors, you are encouraged uh, to to wear a mask. And shall, of course, the new face mask rationing system. People will be able to buy more masks now on any day of the week. But of course, Kerwinger, he didn't, he didn't, he still didn't like it. He wants everyone to be able to buy 28 face masks for one month at one time. And like I said earlier, he's also looking at face mask vending machines. <laughs> yeah, I think it's overall, it's a, it's a good concept, you know, if, if there's a vending machine. But the, 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 the idea with the rationing is that to keep people from, you know, panicking, you know, when they, I cannot buy a mask, right? So that's why the, the government is extremely cautious, right? They, they ramp up the uh, rationing numbers uh, very carefully um, and based on the, the production levels, right? Because if you re- remember um, before this outbreak, uh, pretty much all of our masks were, you know, most of them were imported from China. And that's why the government decided to build, uh, they call a national team of uh, mask production team. Um, and they did a really fine job, right? So they, they slowly ramp up the mask production. Um, so I, if I remember correctly, it's up to the point of like uh, 10 million or 15 million per day. Um, but that's still not enough to cover everybody on the island, right? So that's why pe- they, they are still trying to make sure that this level is re- is matched by, by, by the uh 
by what's happening on the ground because people don't want to see long lines, you know, in front of pharmacies. Um, and at the same time, they don't want to see that pharmacy when they go in, they cannot pick up a mask, especially the children's mask is going to cause uh, a major panic when the schools are beginning, you know, they, they begin like a few weeks ago. So I, I think this is good. Um, as opposed to Cohen, so I, I I think he, he, he's entitled to say whatever he wants. But I would, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that when people go out to buy masks, they can get one. That's the most important thing. And don't forget that if I, uh, I mean, if, if there's the right to buy 28 masks at one time, don't don't tell me there's not going to be some people who are going to take those masks and sell them or send them overseas and then try to get one, other ones. It's it seems like a recipe for um, yeah for, for fraud and for various other things. So I I personally like the idea of staggering the amount that comes in because it just seems like it gives you a, a peace of mind that you know like next week there's going to be something there and you don't have to worry about it so i i'm i'm with the staggering idea vending machines um when we have you know enough to where we're tripping over them i say go for it but before that no they sound like an idea that the face mask will be nicked if you ask me vending machines sitting outside it's got it's got disaster in it. it's got lift it up put it in the back of a truck and drive away with it yeah that could be just the reflection of your personal criminal <laughs> tendencies gavin rather than <laughs> It will happen. I guarantee it will happen. I guarantee it will happen. Anyway, staying with face masks, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced this week that it's planning to export, or donate rather, more face masks to overseas countries, this time to countries that are targeted by the government's new southbound policy. Now, the government, of course, last week announced that it was donating 10 million masks to countries including the United States, 11 European countries, and some of Taiwan's diplomatic allies. But, of course, Xiao... A long time ago, there was calls to donate masks to China. Those calls sort of abated somewhat, and now the people that were calling for masks to be sent to China are now opposing masks being sent to other countries. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a thing, right? I mean, there are always groups of people in Taiwan who is, you know, not happy with whatever the, the government's doing. But just like I said, uh, back then we have really limited mass production, right? We don't have barely enough for everybody. And you see long lines behind pharmacy. You see empty shelves um, of masks, you know, they, they cannot find a mask everywhere. So that's why um, the, the mask export were, were limited um, and the, the mass sale were rationed. But right now, as we ramped up the production, I think this is more and more confidence level that we can have a max for everybody. And when that, you know, comfort is reached, um, the government can begin to look into helping, you know, countries all over the world. Well, granted, you know, Taiwan is not a member country of uh, WHO, so we cannot, you know, use the network to, you know, um, spread you know to help other countries that's why the taiwan is acting alone in you know reaching out to uh, say italy or united states or uh, some northern european countries to make sure that when they need masks we uh when we have a spare we have a surplus we can actually uh send send them to 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 help those in need um so yeah i, I think this is this is why i mean i think this is the right way to do it right because when when we have a the, the enough production uh, but back then uh, but right now even there's people asking why we are not sending to China but uh, of course uh, the, the, the people are going to answer that if you see China is already flat in the curve is there they are claiming they are leveling out so they they have uh, zero cases for a few days so that's why I mean what's the, there's no argument that we should still send them to China
Yeah, if you have a chance to, if Taiwan has a chance to be kind, um, well, we should take it, definitely. Anybody who reads any book on pop psychology, the first uh, thing that they're going to teach you is the law of reciprocity. And, uh, for example, you know, uh, in 1986, there was an earthquake in Mexico. Ethiopian Red Cross donated money to Mexico. And the reason they did it, it turns out, you look back 30 years before, Mexico had donated to Ethiopia in their time of need. So... Any time you have a chance to, to, you know, pass on or do something good for someone else, even from a selfish perspective, it will come back and possibly do good for you. So I think uh, Xiao is completely right on this. Uh, we have the capacity at this point. We've got it seemingly under control. I think the last number I saw was 13 million that we're producing, and they were hoping to ramp that up to either 15 or 17 million. So, you know, we, we seem to be doing okay. And when you look at some of these places in the U.S. and Europe where they are, you know, I, what was it they were offering the other day? For 70 euros for 10 masks or something like that. You know, you, you can see the need. And if we can help, we should. And, Michael, what about the World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adhanom? What about his comments? Apparently he's being racially abused from Taiwan. And then right. President Tsai Ing-wen invited him to come. Come here and have a look. You're right. So I did my best to get online and try to find examples of some of these uh, cartoons or some of these comments and stuff like that. Now, number one, it's very difficult to ascertain exactly who drew the cartoon. Uh, could it be disinformation for that matter? We just don't know. And my general feeling was I found a couple of cartoons where he was drawn in a way that for a Westerner, you might say is kind of a racial caricature or a caricature uh, his his lips were large and his hair was perhaps more naughty and uh, these were these were racial elements but the cartoon overall was focused on the fact that he was sucking up to China, and he was kissing China's butt. And that there were very graphic sort of images of him doing kind of exactly that. So you could argue that they were racial, but overall their tone was very much more that he was in China's pocket. So, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You know, Taiwanese people, uh, including myself, we're all capable of racism, just like anybody else is capable of it. And I'm sure there were some comments and some, some things that were, were probably, you know, racial and, and wrong. There's no way of, of getting around the fact that there are bad people everywhere. But from what I saw, from what I could look at, the overall tone was a dissatisfaction with the fact that he seems to be in China's pocket. And we're hearing this from everyone from Donald Trump to, uh, you know, to, uh, in, in, in a, to a degree, Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen. So I, I, I just don't see that that is like a, a, a fair argument, especially during a pandemic, that, oh, my feelings were hurt over this, this cartoon. And as far as death threats, I, I wasn't able to credibly find a, an incident of it. It just doesn't seem to be there, – there wasn't strong enough evidence for me to be able to definitively say that that you know, was a death threat. Uh, you know, people make emotional statements when they're angry, and that to me is different than an actual death threat. So, yeah, I think he needs to uh, possibly resign. That would be my... Uh, my, oh, my concent- concentrate on what he's paid to do. There you go. And Xiao, do you think he'll come to Taiwan? Do you think he'll take up <laughs> President Simon's <laughs> offer? Um, I, I don't think so. So first of all, I, I completely agree with uh, Michael's assessment there. Um yeah, if you look at the uh, the, the poster or, or the graphics that's depicting, you know, how Taiwanese is feeling about, you know, the director general, I mean, it is true that they are racial caricatures, but being a Taiwanese who live in the United States for 20 years, I can, I yeah, first, I, I, I would admit that Taiwanese sometimes lack of uh, racial sensibility, right? Because mm. this is pretty homogeneous 
heterogeneous nation. Uh, so we don't have that racial conflict in uh, ingrained in our culture. Um, so sometimes, you know, the, when you look online, the, the Suanmin, you know, the, the people who are just just prone to, you know, um, attacking this, uh, doing this kind of attack, um, they sometimes can can can, can characterize this in a way that they may feel make a Westerner feel like it's a it's a racial slur, but. But just like Michael said, I mean, it, it is reflective of uh, the general Taiwanese, you know, consensus that the, the WHO is is really doing the China China's bidding, right? Because number one, they are. Um, if you look at the, the recent video clip that surfaced, you know, when when one of the officials of WHO being interviewed by a, a Hong Kong media and asked about Taiwan, he he number one he pretend to not hear the question, mm. and then when pressed again, he simply just hang up, hang up the phone, um, and then when called again, he just said, no, let's not talk about Taiwan. Taiwan is part of China. So this. This actually brought the whole thing with uh, Taiwan and WHO to the international media spotlight. And I, I, I have a feeling, and a lot of people have this feeling that um, this attack coming from the Director General um, of WHO is actually uh, a ploy to divert attention away from, number one, you know, the, the responsibility of a fail a failure to lead a swift response to the pandemic, and number two is to make sure um, Taiwan is again painted in a in, in a bad light in the international media. So I, I think this is just very very um, sad that uh, as an international, as a, as a United Nations organization, can actually um, concentrate attack on Taiwan in, on on this level. And of course, there's a beautiful irony here. China has says they've reported no cases. But we had a case in Taiwan yesterday and a case uh, before that. So are we a part of China? Interesting. Yes. Anyway, we have to take a short <laughs> break on that note, but we will return after these important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week Now and the Kaohsiung Election Commission sent the petition calling for the recall of City Mayor Han Guoyu to the Central Election Commission on Wednesday of this week after completing the initial review process. Now, organisers of the recall campaign, of course, submitted 400,000 signatures to the Kaohsiung Election Commission and the Kaohsiung Election Commission says 377,662 of those 406,888 signatures were confirmed as valid. Now... Hangwoyu's legal team isn't happy about this petition and they've filed an administrative litigation with the Taiwan High Administrative Court and with the Cabinet seeking a review of whether the recall vote against the mayor should be allowed to proceed. Now, according to Han's legal team, the groups that initiated the recall petition contravened Article 75 of the Civil Servants Election and Recall Act because they started collecting signatures less than a year before it actually been in office. Now, a spokesperson for the for Han's office also says that basically they don't want the recall to take place because it will be A, a waste of taxpayers' money and will also pose a health risk due to the coronavirus pandemic. So, Michael, there you go. They're poo-pooing the petition. Right. So there's a lot of numbers that you can throw around in there, 400, but let's just try to break it down a little bit simpler. 140,000 people, more people than were required, legally have now been declared to have signed a petition to have him removed. So they overshot the signatures necessary by 140,000, at least 140,000 people. So that's a very, very strong indicator that uh, the majority of the electorate in Kaohsiung is no longer behind uh, the mayor. 
And there's been polls that were conducted uh, by a, a couple of think tanks. I think it was on March 26th. And 60% of people in that poll said that they intended to participate in the election uh, despite the, the coronavirus. And uh, even if it were very, very serious, that number drops to something like 55. But that's still way more people than is required to remove him from office. So that's the will of the people. As far as his argument goes, I mean, there's a tiny, tiny chance that, you know, this could be thrown out on a technicality, something like that. But it doesn't seem probable, as the Election Commission has already counted the votes. They've went through them. This is the, the, they went through the first stage. They went through the second stage. So what this looks like to a lot of people down here is that the Hunt administration just didn't believe or refused to accept that this was actually happening. So back when the first stage was going on, I remember talking to people in the Han camp, and, and they're like, uh, they were poo-pooing it and just saying, no, don't worry about this. This, this happens quite frequently in Taiwan. Now, they are right. This has happened before. It's happened with legislators. It's happened with other various officials, and they were not successful. So perhaps the, the camp got a little bit complacent and thought to themselves, oh, this is going to peter out. You'll see. And then they saw the virus thing, and they thought, uh, but it, it has made it now to the second stage, and a vote is required, and um, it's going to happen. I mean, unless uh, some sort of miracle were to occur, this is going to happen, and it's looking very, very much like he will be thrown out of office. So I think some of the more interesting things that are, are being whispered around Kaohsiung right now is that uh, maybe it's time for Han to resign, as uh, if he did that, perhaps the KMT would be able to at least hold on to the seat until the 2022 election, instead of having a new election in which I bet you could put any generic DPP face anyone would beat whatever KMT candidate they would have. So uh, these are the things that are being talked about behind, uh, behind doors. But yeah, it, 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 uh, it's a, it's a, it's a last-minute Hail Mary pass that uh, I would be shocked if it went through. Yeah, wow. I, I I agree with uh, Michael's analysis there. I everywhere I ask, I mean, people are truly surprised that it's gonna happen, right? Because if you look at you know the, uh, the 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 parties, they are mostly trying to position themselves in order to you know get into the the, the recall election. So this is this is well. I shouldn't say it's very, very rare that actually a recall, mm. uh, a mayor is being recalled in, in on this level. So we see that even the TPP um, is is said to be you know position themselves trying to uh, push out a candidate to to uh, participate in the election. And just like Michael said, I mean the DPP, um, they are also a lot of people are trying to position themselves yeah. to make sure they uh, they get a they get a call and then to step up to the plate. Um, so this is very uh, very exciting. I mean we will see what's happening. What about Xiao? What about the a waste of taxpayers' money? And we couldn't hold the vote because of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, that's just really desperate. Yeah, that, that's one of the worries, right? Because right now people are, you know trying to keep their social distancing. Right? So if you ask them to uh, come out to the polls and then vote on the recall election, uh, they may seriously hurt the turnout. Um, and, and in the recall election, the turnout is the key, right? So if you don't have enough people turning out to vote uh, by itself, it's, uh, it, it's going to doom the, the, the election. Yeah, so. but think, think about how we vote in Taiwan, right? We go to a, a school or we go to somewhere. It would be very easy for them to implement measures like uh, taking your temperature and then letting one person in, letting another person in. You know, we don't have, like, flocks of... Uh, it, it, it would be easy to, 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 to take care of that one. And as far as the money issue goes, 
Um, I interviewed Aaron Yin a couple months ago for ICRT, and he's like, look, the law states this. This is the law. We are doing everything according to the law. We are following the law to the T. This is not, you know, uh, some uh, sudden waste of money or uh, this has been gone over before. We, we, we settled this, and this is the way it works. So we have elections, and then you also have the right to do this. And he's like, I just don't understand why anyone would argue that we are doing anything that isn't just completely kosher. Moving on, and the new power party this week called on the government to amend the Assembly and Parade Act during the current legislative session. Now the call coincided with the Freedom of Expression Day, which commemorates the April 7th, 1989 death of democracy advocate Nylon Dung. Now, NPP lawmakers say that the government should remove regulations from the Act that ban protesters from rallying near government buildings. And the MPP is also hoping that the amendments will include a clause stating that police officers deployed at protests be legally obligated to disclose their identities. So, Xiao, your, pre- your former party here calling for amendments to the Assembly and Parade Act. Yes, uh, that, that's one of the central, you know, core values of uh, New Power Party, right? Because it's uh, if they see the the legacy of the Sunflower Movement, and if you remember, um, in you know, three twenty four is where uh, one of the, the activities they're trying to occupy the uh, the Xinjiang uh, Yuan, right? So the executive Yuan, um, and it really caused a major violence to break out between the uh, protesters and the police, right? Um, there's a classic image of a uh, a police waving a, a baton um, and looking very, uh, very uh, vicious and trying to attack the uh, the students, and that image is ingrained in many of the young peoples of the era, right? Because to this day, we still don't know who this police officer is or if he has faced any, you know, consequences for his violence act against the students. So, if you remember the 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 the, the uh, the, the scene, um, a lot of students were, were beaten with a baton and then a lot of blood was shed, uh, many heads were broken. Um, so this is an uh, image that, that's left over from that time. And the, the New Power Party ever since has been calling to uh, amend the law to make sure that whenever you know the police is dealing with the protesters, number one, their identities are properly disclosed uh, so that when when in the aftermath people are trying to investigate if the violence is excessive, uh, they, they, they can find the, 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 the person or the police officer that's responsible. And number two, the, the other central thesis is that um, people have the right to protest together and to voice their concerns. So they should only be informing the government that they are, they are going to do so and not asking the permission from the government. Because it would be very weird to, you know, ask the permission to protest something that the government is doing, right? So the, this is something that the MPP has been working on for over the years, and uh, I truly support them on that. Michael? Uh, I have to take a bit of a contrarian position on this one, because I can't think of any country, uh, no matter how liberal they are, well, let's take Norway from, to Canada, where they would have permitted, uh, you know, students to take over the legislative uh, body or the, the seat of government. Um, uh, it's just, you know, not, there, there's some areas that are just not uh, acceptable places uh, to protest, and uh, I know it sounds it's strange to, to say that because, you know, I'm, I'm a great supporter of freedom of speech and expression, but, you know, should people be allowed to suddenly just converge on Zhongxiao East Road during rush hour and take over the street and, uh, you know, uh, destroy the, the livelihoods of, of uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other people trying to get around and get home? There was a case in Kaohsiung the other week where they wanted to protest at the train station, 
And this one, I think they probably should have figured out a way to do it, but the government denied it on the basis of it would impede the flow of movement. So it, it's, it's, to me, it's a bit more complicated than just, you know, you should have the right to protest whenever you want to. I support many of the things in there, like uh, perhaps uh, the, especially the one about uh, police identifying themselves. I'm less concerned about police who are in uniform because they actually have identifying marks usually, and if they don't, they should. So you should be able to track down police officers based on um, some sort of, you know, number on their uniform. If they don't have that, they should have that. But I want uh, people who are perhaps infiltrating crowds, and I've seen this at uh, political rallies. I see people wandering around, and you see that little telltale uh, radio uh, antenna coming out of their bag, and you're like, that's an, that's an undercover cop. So I think that those people should have to identify themselves if they were in a protest, because uh, that, that, that would seem fair. So there are parts of it that I agree with, and uh, other parts I wonder, you know, if it's good for the, for the greater good. But um, if you were doing it peacefully, and you were doing it, say, you know, at the um, uh, Don Forest Park, for example, I don't see any reason why they should come in with, with bully clubs and, and, and and, you know, beat people and refuse them the right to do it. But I do wonder if there shouldn't be some limits on, on what you can and cannot do protest-wise. And before we go this week, the Chinese Professional Baseball League is set to break with global coronavirus norms this weekend when the new season begins tomorrow at the Taoyuan International Baseball Stadium with the Rakuten Monkeys playing the China Trust Brothers. And that will make it one of the only sports leagues, if not one of the very, very few sports leagues in the world, not to have been suspended due to the virus. And I spoke with Mark Buckton, the editor of the Taiwan Times, about why the league opted not to suspend games and what we can expect to see this season. So your online publication has recently been running a four-part series of articles about the new CPBL season. And why is it taking place as other countries' sports have been cancelled? I think um, that's a multifaceted decision. I've spoken to a contact at the CPBL myself. Um, as you mentioned in your intro, they are throwing the first pitch four weeks late. But I think in the end, they realise they've got to go. And they're jumping on the back of the, the low numbers of cases that we've seen so far here in Taiwan, especially the so-called community transmissions. And they're using that to justify going ahead with the game. But the game on Saturday um, between the brothers and the monkeys. Um, that said, the game is still going ahead behind closed doors. There won't be any fans there. There will just be the players, club officials and some media people there. Of course, to be pessimistic, of course, there's not usually any great turnout at baseball games here anymore. But, of course, the opening game, because it's the Rakuten Monkeys, probably was going to get quite a good turnout. Yeah, the Monkeys are one of the better supported teams. Um, they're actually going against the Brothers, which is arguably the best supported team in Taiwan. And those two teams do generally get decent turnouts, perhaps 10, 12, 14,000. So... And, and the fact that, as you said, the is the opening game, that would have got a bigger crowd, potentially. Um, in the end, it's going to be a few media folks like myself just sat in a half-empty stadium. And of course, oh, people... actually, an empty stadium. <laughs> but people will be able to watch it, apparently, streaming online. Yes, they will. The CPBL has its own uh, streaming service. And um, I think there'll be the usual less-than-legal streaming services out there as well. Right, let's look ahead. Of course, games on Sunday as well. But do you think the CPBL could be forced sometime down the road, possibly, to cancel the season? Right now, with the, the figures in Taiwan as they are, with the, uh, the Centre for Disease Control here, still stressing how low the figures are for community transmissions, I don't think that's on the horizon just now. 
I know that the CPBL were hurt by the cancellation of the Tokyo Games and the fact that Taiwan, under the name of Chinese Taipei, won't be taking part. But I think that's still a distant decision. I, I think they're going to be holding out for, for the best based on the low-term community transmission numbers. Talking about the CPBL properly now and dumping the coronavirus, who are you looking at this season? Because, of course, the Rakuten Monkeys, they take over from the Lamigo Monkeys, first foreign-owned team in Taiwan. They are. They've got the uh, the big uh, the big Japanese company behind them, Rakuten. They they're heavily invested in Barcelona in football and in the J League as well in Japan. Um, I think Rakuten will always be there or thereabouts, as the old cliche goes. But their manager from last year, he's moved off now to the Fubon Guardians, and the Guardians are putting together a very very good squad. Um, they've got a good pitching squad. They've got some decent batters. But I think the one to watch this year will be the brothers. Um, I think people say that every year. But the brothers have been runners-up for the past few years. They've really got a good a good pitching squad together. They've they've got a good few foreign players, and probably the best of which is Mitch Lively, um, a Californian pitcher. He's over here for I think his third or fourth year now. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the brothers this year. But then again. You can never write off the monkeys, to be honest. And what about the lions, of course? The lions, um, the lions are the also fans. They always will be. They've really not got their act together over the past few years. And as much as you know, the people in Tainan want them to win, and they do have fans around the country. They are going to be the whiffing boys yet again. I fear. What about players to watch out for? Where everyone's at home watching it on television. I think it, that depends on what kind of baseball fan you are. There's, there's, there are fans in, of baseball who really like to watch the batters as people more into the pitching battles. It will be a little bit tricky in the sense, uh, especially for the foreign fans who are just getting into the CPBL because there's no other baseball in the world to watch, to actually catch up on the, on the Chinese names because some of the names are very similar and some people do have the same family names on their shirt in the same teams. So for now, I would say, have a look at the foreign pitchers. Almost all the te- well, most of the teams do have some foreign pitchers with you know, English language names. As I said, Mitch Lively, he's, uh, he's one to watch. There's a guy called Mike Laurie. Um, he's a pitcher at the Guardians. He's probably in his ninth or tenth year here in Taiwan now. He's been here a long time. Always puts in good numbers. So those two guys would be the ones to watch, they're obviously identifiable on the mound and they're really effective pitches in the CPBL. And, of course, going back to the Rakuten Monkeys, big things were said when they bought the team about how the Japanese company will bring a new new era to Taiwan baseball. I think it might. Um, the old it remains to be seen has to be said because Rakuten's investment in the J-League, the, the Japanese professional football league up in Japan, have been really limited to one team. They bought big. They've bought some huge European names, um, footballers. They've gone over to Japan. But it still hasn't helped the team win things. Um, Rakuten have got this habit of buying big, but they don't seem to have the patience yet or the, the ability to build teams from the ground up. That's where I think the Fubon Guardians here in Taiwan are doing well. They've really put together a good squad. They've been patient over the past couple of years. And they're putting together things from the ground up. With the Monkeys, they've already been very successful. They've won the past few um, Taiwan Series championships. They've been the best team in, in the country for, for several years. 
And I think that's what Rakuten are cashing in on at the moment, that popularity. They might not be looking that long term, but as I, as I said, you know, my, my get out caveat is it remains to be seen. Right, and of course, if you had to get your crystal ball out and say who's going to win, who do you think will win? I'm going to go for the brothers. Um, the, the brothers, the team based down in Taichung, probably the biggest team in Taiwan, and certainly the most vocally supported. I, uh, I'm going to go for the brothers. With hopefully the Guardians coming in second, I'm not the fan of Rakuten, the way they, they operate the club doesn't really impress me. Although that was under the old Amigo umbrella, so Rakuten may, well, Rakuten now have the chance to do better this year, I think. So for me, it's the brothers. That was me in conversation with Taiwan Times editor Mark Buckton. And that's all we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Xin Chung. Good night, everyone. And on the telephone by Michael Smith. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.